this just popped into my mind as I was sitting here this morning. As we, uh, actually, I had heard this. I was listening to a song on the way to church this morning uh, that was talking about uh, even the darkness is, uh, is, is light to you. And uh, so I was looking up a verse. I, I knew that was a verse in the Bible. I didn't know where it was, but it's in Psalm 139.12. And it says, even the darkness is not dark to you. And so I was, and this is a side note, I'm not really <laughs> starting here, but um, it's interesting that, you know, we were singing that song, You Are Highly Exalted, um, Name Above All Names. Um, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to see this morning that God said, let there be light, right? Well, that, that wasn't for him. You know, he didn't, he didn't need the light because even the darkness is not light to him. He, did, he doesn't need light to see anything. Um, but he create, you know, he's creating a reality. He's creating, um, he's creating things. Uh, he's creating a world. He's creating a universe, and and you know, he's creating this, uh, the heavens and the earth. Um, so he's creating this reality um, for a purpose. Um, but <clears throat> he doesn't need that light for himself. Uh, is my point. But but Adam needed it. Eve needed it. The animals needed it. The plants needed it. Um, so, uh, but that's why he's highly exalted above all, because he doesn't need it. Um, he's higher than, than all things. Um, so, uh, I might repeat myself this morning. I was just kind of looking through my notes again, and um, there's just some points that uh, I might make. You might be like, well, didn't he already say that? But, but that's, that's okay, uh, because... Uh, they kind of will help us to um, maybe take away, they'll, they'll help, you know, burn it in to our brains here. So I want to start by just saying that we're, we are going to go a little bit further today in Genesis. And um, <clears throat> we'll just, um, I'll just start by reading, and I'm going to read uh, verse 1 through 19, okay? And I'm going to start by reading this uh, in, in the ESV translation here, Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. <clears throat> so... Um, just so you don't think it's going to take us five years to get through the book, uh, we want you guys to know that like, 
We are taking a lot longer on Genesis 1 because there's just so many things to pull from Genesis 1. There's so many observations that we can observe from here that have major implications on our faith. But as we get into uh, more of the, the parts here where there'll be his, historical, you know, stories um, of, of the, the different people, you know, we'll, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but um, some of the things that uh, we went over uh, last week um, had great implications to our faith. We talked about um, Adam and believing in, in a real Adam and how that, uh, Paul talked about that and how that related to what that means as far as um, salvation. Um, and so I just want to go over a couple more observations today. Um, now, this isn't something that we, we would know uh, from reading our, um, our Bibles here, but they would know this in the Hebrew, okay? And, and I just want to start off by saying in this observation that this is just something that I was reading in, in commentaries. It was intriguing to me, um, and I'm not bringing this out to... I'll tell you why I'm bringing this out, okay? But it's not, it's not because I'm a big, you know, biblical numerology guy and I want to make a big deal about that because I don't think there's a whole lot of um, stuff uh, to be found there. Uh, but I just want to point out something about this. Um, in the original Hebrew, um, in Genesis 1, it just somehow God laid out in Genesis 1 that there seems to be an affinity for the number seven, okay? So both... Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and chapter 2, verse 1 and 3 contain the number of Hebrew words that are multiples of seven. 1, 1 consists of seven words, 1, 2 of 14 words, chapter 2, 1 through 3 of 35 Hebrew words. God is mentioned 35 times, earth 21 times, heaven and firmament 21 times, and the phrase is, it was so, and God saw that it was good both seven times each. So this is why I bring this up, not because, you know, we're going to try to make some kind of like a um, biblical numerology thing about this, but it's because some modern scholars have, have um, you know, said like, you know, Moses couldn't have written that book. That guy, you know, uh, Genesis is obviously written with such careful precision and sophistication. If you look at the Hebrew language, that it couldn't have been Moses that wrote this book. Um, but my answer to that would be, you're probably thinking it yourselves. You know, you know that Moses grew up in Egypt. He grew up in, in the house of royalty. He was taught in, in the finest schools of the day. Um, so it wasn't like Moses was some, you know, backwoods, you know, grew up in the country bumpkin kind of guy that wasn't educated. And besides that, somebody was helping Moses write the book, right? It was God himself. And so... Um, I only bring this up just to show that like, there is a level of sophistication and a preciseness in the writing of the Genesis 1 that just, it just solidifies my faith even more to show that like, God was there. God was helping Moses write this. And it wasn't just, you know, willy-nilly that, that, this, that, that, that these words are, are written here. Um, that's why I, why I bring that up. Um, so the second thing I want us to observe is, um, is that God is standing outside of all that's going on here, okay? Um, and, and we see that, um, that God doesn't start, you know, this is his, his story to us about the beginning of time, the beginning of time as we know it. And he doesn't start with a long apologetic of... Um, well, let me try to explain to you um, uh, my existence. He just starts off by saying, I was there. Okay, I was there from the beginning. And, um, and he's basically just saying, like, I stand outside of all this creation. I'm, I'm I, I don't know, I can't think, I was trying to think of a good analogy for this, and it was hard to, but, like, you might... Think of if you ever, I don't know, how many of you have ever, well, maybe school teachers, right? Maybe you created like a mogul or something, right, um, of, um, of the planetary system, right? 
and you got the sun and the planets and whatnot. You created a mogul and you hung it from your classroom or you maybe hung it in one of your kids' bedrooms or something. You created that and you're standing outside it and you're, and you're looking at that, right? And um, so what I'm trying to say is that God is outside of this creation. He's on the outside and he's, he's creating this from the outside, okay? I just want to say that from the beginning. Now he's going to get involved in the creation um, and he's going to, he's cre- he created the creation and then he's going to become um, intimately involved uh, with us in the creation. But let's look at um, Isaiah 46 together. Um, so this is uh, God speaking through Isaiah the prophet here. Um, So it's Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Um, So he says, Remember this, and stand firm, and recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. And um, I just want to just point out that God is saying, I mean, God knows the end from the beginning. Okay, and so this is where when we talk about it is well with my soul, I mean, God, in our finite minds, um, we just have to take that by faith. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows um, what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and yet somehow today, you know, we walk and am I going to take a sip of water from that, you know, bottle there? I might, I might not, and but, um, you know, I can't get my head around the fact that God may know if I am or I'm not, you know, but he does, okay, um, and I'm not, okay, <laughs> okay, uh, right now, uh, but he knew that. So I'm just trying to say that he, uh, um, he is saying, what he's saying is, um, if I come into this creation, I'm coming into the space that I created, and we know he did, okay? We know he did come into the, this a space that he created. Um, again, another analogy I was thinking, and it's just really, this is a lame analogy, okay? But um, um, bear with me just, you know, you probably can go, boo, that's terrible, but okay, you know, on the playground, this was one of my favorite. This was one of my favorite things on the playground growing up. But you, you know, the um, I don't even know what they call it, but it's like the little spin thing that like they had the bars, and and you and your friends, you could like start running. That had like a little run track, and it could go really fast. Okay, it's just kind of like a. It's not. It wasn't a carousel, but it was just a. What it was called? Kind of like a merry-go-round. You know, without horses, right? You know. And, um, but you just could like run and then, and then jump on it and then just like, you know, it would make you really dizzy. Um, but imagine just like if you created that, right, and you're standing outside of it and you're watching kids play on it and play on it and you're like, wow, they're really enjoying that, that's great. But then, but then you, you get on it and you jump on it too. You know, it's like God created everything and then he jumped into the space that he created with us. He's a part of it with us. Um, and I just want to point out that he acts freely. One observation here is that, um, I mean, n- no one compelled him to create, okay? He's not under compulsion. There's, there's, uh, there's no one who's, who's, you know, got a gun to his head, so to speak. Uh, he, he, is, he is free to create this world um, as he wants to. Um, there's, there's no record of, uh, there was a reason that he had to do it. And, and, um, it's just of his own free will that he's doing it. 
Um, Nebuchadnezzar got this. You know, he, he understood this. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, as you know, like the story in Daniel, um, he, was, he was like the most powerful king or one of the most powerful kings in his day, right? And he was asserting himself as, you know, as almost a god, okay? Um, he wanted people to bow down and worship him. And um, so God wanted to demonstrate his power. And, um, and so he, uh, however he did it, whether he caused some kind of chemical imbalance in Nebuchadnezzar's brain or whatnot, um, kind of caused Nebuchadnezzar to, to go crazy. And um, he ended up, you know, eating grass. And, um, and I'm just going to share this one verse in Daniel 4.35, which was um, Nebuchadnezzar's conclusion um, after this incident happened, okay? Um, so Nebuchadnezzar says in, in 4.35, he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar got that. He didn't, he didn't blame God. He didn't be like, why did that earthquake happen? Why did that volcano happen? And take, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar got it that God was able to do whatever he wanted to do. Um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 115. One through three, and it says this: Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, "Where now is their God?" But our God is in the heavens; He does whatever He pleases. Not to us, O Lord, but to Thy name give glory. Sometimes, you know, if, if I'm, I'm, I like to take a walk at night a lot of times, and um, if I'm taking a walk, well, a church at least, and I used to go to a long time ago when we first met, um, they had put a song, some tune to, to that psalm right there. So that kind of pops in my head. But a lot of times, I mean, when I'm walking under the stars and just looking up, um, that song pops into my head, and it really is, it's something that gives, it gives me perspective, you know, that, that God is saying, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. And um, again, that's just an observation, again, from Genesis 1, that we see that like, again, this, this observation that no one compelled God to create. He did this of his own uh, volition, if you will. <clears throat> so, um, again, last week we talked about how believing in a little Adam had major implications related to the doctrine of sin and salvation. Um, and one of, the, one of the points from last week that I, I brought out was that God wants to be known, and he created everything in such a way so as to be known. Um, we read from Psalm 19, we read from uh, we said the, the uh, creation um, shows the glory of God. We read from Romans 1, where he said um, that, um, I'll, just, I'll just read it real quick. Um, unless someone can quote it. Um, For what can be known about God is plain, to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So God created in such a way that he wanted to be known. Um, and then I talked about how he also gave us a clue in the fact that he spoke everything into existence. And speaking is a form of communication. He was wanting to communicate his creation. But here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> there are those who believe in a superior being. Um, <clears throat> I didn't mention this last week. Last week I talked a lot about 
atheists. I talked about agnostics um, some. <clears throat> I didn't bring this out last week, but I was thinking about it this week. Um, there's some who, and I, but I was thinking about, <clears throat> I remember learning in, I don't know, maybe history class about deists. You probably remember um, the term deism. Um, I just remember from high school or somewhere, wherever I learned, that Thomas Jefferson was a, a, a guy who was pretty much famous for being a deist. And, and what that is, it's people who believe, they look at creation and they realize it's something far more intelligent than anything here on earth was involved in creating everything. So, um, but yet they don't believe that that creator intervenes in the creation. They kind of believe that like a creator got things going and then walked away. Does some, is a creator that does not intervene in creation. Um, but again, just like I said last week, you know, so they would not take that there's a, a, a literal atom. Um, uh, but that has very grave implications on, on our faith, you know. Um, and I was talking about how the book of Genesis, you know, when God introduced it to his people at the time he did, when they were wandering around the desert, um, it was confronting the false worldviews of the day. And we'll even get into that more next week. But, you know, he talks about, I created the moon. And here, you know, you're going to run into Canaanites that are going to say, no, no, there's a moon God. You know, God's going to say, I created the sea creatures. And the Canaanites are going to say, no, I, you know, we believe in this God called Marduk, who's a sea creature. Um, so God created Genesis at a time where it was confronting the false worldviews of the day. And what's amazing is that it still confronts the false worldviews of our day. And what we learn from Genesis and why it's important to believe in a literal Adam is that it demonstrates that God not only created man, but that he wants man to personally know him. I mean, he came down and walked with man in the garden um, so that Adam and Eve could know him personally. Um, so why do you think someone with a worldview like deism why that might come about, you know? I mean, if I started, if I wanted to start believing, you know what, I, I believe in God, I believe, I believe that some, something far more intelligent than human beings created this world, but I don't believe that that God intervenes in mankind, you know, intervenes in the world. Why, why might I want to believe that? Well, one reason I think is because if I don't believe that they intervene, they just kind of set it in motion and then walked away is because then there, I have no accountability to that God. I mean, they're, they're really not involved. There's no, they're not going to hold me accountable for any of my actions. Um, and so I basically can do whatever I please, you know, instead of what Psalm 115 says. Um, but the fact is that God does intervene in his creation and he wants man to know him personally. Um, I want to read one verse from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament just to confirm what, you know, what, what we, most of us already know here that, that he does. But um, I'll just, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read Isaiah 45, 18, okay? Um, and here's what it says. <clears throat> For thus says the Lord, <clears throat> who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So he gives us a clue there as to why he created it. He formed it. He created it to be inhabited. You know, and I mean, obviously, based on what he says in the New Testament, I believe he created it to be inhabited so that he could have mankind know who he, know who he is because he gets glory from that. Um, and then the familiar verse that we're all familiar with, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he wants us to have eternal life, but what is eternal life, right? John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So I just wanted to point out that is God created this world that the world would know him, but not just in a go out. I mean, yes, go out and look at the stars and the mountains and go, wow, God, you are amazing. But also he wants us to know him personally. That is eternal life. That's why he wants us to believe in him, um, that we would have eternal life and that eternal life, what it means is that we would know him. Um, So lastly, from last week, we learned a Hebrew word. Um, I'm not going to tell you what that is. Anyone remember what that is? Huh? Huh? Yes, bara is the Hebrew word for create. Good job. And it was a word that spoke of the things that, that only God created, okay? There, there's there's an, another other Hebrew words for um, when man creates something or something else is created, but bara is what God created. And, and, and that was important because, um, and one thing that I didn't get to, I was sharing verses that showed what God created, um, I'm just going to throw this in because I didn't share it last week. Another thing that it says that God barad is the new heavens and the new earth, okay? That's something else that God um, barad, okay? So, um, but because we saw the same God who created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence effortlessly, he's the same God who creates regeneration. And that's, that is very important, Um because for us who are believers in here and who have accepted the new birth, we should just bow our heads in awe and wonder and know that God says to us, look out into the cosmos, look to the stars and know this, that my power that created that resides in your redemption. When you look out there and you think that's a miracle, Look and see how I have changed your heart. So not only like Psalm 19 says, do the heavens declare the glory of God, but the power of the gospel in our lives declares his glory. And we need to never forget this. So, you know, when we are celebrating um, communion, you know, it's, it's, we should just think of his creation. We should think of that not only did he just effortlessly and effectively speak the world into existence, he, that same amount of effortlessness it took for him to just cause us to be born again. Um, and I want us to just turn to 2 Corinthians 4, because I want to uh, read some of this together to show how um, his ability to uh, regenerate us brings him glory. And I, I will start in, in verse 3, and I'll just see when I, when I stop here. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And I think that's amazing. Just, I mean, again, this idea of God being the one who creates regeneration. I mean, the power, it belongs to God and not to us. Um, And then um, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, I mean, any time, you know, we, any time that we even, if, if we would just even express to friends, family, co-workers, just what God's done in our life, I mean, that would bring him glory. Um, even though, the, you know, they might be like, well, that's hogwash, you know. It's, it's true. It's true, you know, and, and it, would, it brings God glory. Um, and it is truly a miracle, okay? Um, and it's, it's just as miraculous as, as what he has done in creation. Okay, so... Um, how many of you guys have heard of Bill Nye, the science guy? Okay, so I was going to ask my kids, because I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that, like, growing up, like, we watched, like, some of those videos, didn't, didn't we? Like, we, we were, okay, okay, but anyway, I, anyway, they're, 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 they're pretty entertaining, if you, because he's, he, he, he gets uh, very, uh, he's very enter- entertaining guy, right? Um, and, and maybe we, we, you know, we're like, yeah, let's not watch some of these because, you know, they're saying stuff that's not necessarily true. But anyway, um, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of people, are, you know, do watch them and they're, and they're getting a lot of stuff from these. And that's what I was going to share here. Um, what's interesting about this. Um, so, you know, it's really Dr. Bill Nye. You know, he's got a PhD and whatnot and something related to science. But um, this is, here's a couple quotes from him, okay? We are just a speck on a speck orbiting a speck in the corner of a speck in the middle of nowhere. But I have a brain, and I can imagine all of this that is wonderful. That is remarkable. That is venerable. So when you, when you think of the word venerable, right, you're kind of like thinking of a word that's like almost crossing over into like philosophy slash religion, right? When you kind of hear that word, it. It, the, the actual definition of the word venerable is accorded a great deal of respect, especially because of age, wisdom, or character. So uh, here's another quote, okay? We are made of stardust, and we can understand that. So you and I are at least one way the universe knows itself. That is moving, and it fills me with reverence. So again, you know, he's... He's taking science and then he throws in words that kind of like cross the line into philosophy or religion, you know, religious tones there. Reverence is deep respect for someone or something. So, um, so I just wanted us to notice that. And, and uh, so you see how quickly Dr. Nye, as a scientist, goes from science to philosophy and he makes that jump very quickly, just in these quotes. And I point that out because um, I don't want us to be unaware that that, in our day and age, is kind of like how culture sees science. Um, they almost, well, I think they do. They do see science as almost a religion, if you will, okay? Um, and, um, and what's interesting is the conclusion, actually, I was watching one of these uh, Bill Nye um, YouTube videos yesterday, and they kind of had a thing where they had like two guys um, laying on top of their car, looking up at the stars, and they were kind of doing this like, I don't know, um, I've never seen the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but you hear people like talk like that all the time, like, hey, dude, and what do you think about this dude? And stuff. So these guys were on the car and they were looking at it and they were like, hey, dude, look at that. You mean that's that many light years away? And wow, we're just a speck, you know, on a speck, you know? And, he's, and the one guy's like, yeah, that means like we're little specks. The other guy says like, yeah, like, like we're like almost nothing. 
And then the other guy's like, whoa, dude. And that's where it ended. And it's just like, look at the conclusion that is drawn when God's not in the picture. You know, like, we're almost nothing. I don't know, but like, um, light, it rains on the evil and the good, right? I mean, in this world, it's going to rain on the evil and the good. When it rains on someone who considers that their life is like almost nothing, um, I don't know. It's, it's not, it wouldn't be surprising to me that where the, your answer to that would just be to like snuff your life out, you know, because it'd be like, well, I'm nothing anyway, so why not just check out? But I want us to see in Psalm 8, let's, let's all turn to Psalm 8. This is the conclusion that you would have if your worldview is one of understanding that God created all of that stuff. You know, it's not just um, it's not just there by for no reason. Okay, <clears throat> so this is David's conclusion, Psalm eight. O Lord, our Lord, <clears throat> how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? All right, so if you stop right there, David is almost in the same place as those two teenagers on that car. Man, when I... When I look at this, what is, what is man? I mean, I'm just a speck. I'm almost nothing. I am almost nothing. But David, David has the truth. David has the truth that in day six, God said, let us make man in our image and let's give him something to do. Okay, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. So David continues, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the difference is David's conclusion because he understands that God is the one who made him um, uh, is that um, he has a purpose in life. So let me get back to this idea of God and knowing and us knowing him. So um, again, I talked about that God wants to be known. Um, so we also learned that Moses wrote these things after they came out of Egypt. Um, but what we know um, <clears throat> that when they were in Egypt, okay, before these things were written, uh, God was doing these miraculous things, and he kept using the term over and over again, um, that you may know that it is me with respect to the miracles that he was going to be doing. So, you know, when he was talking to Moses, he said, like, look, I'm going to do this thing, and you tell Pharaoh and the people that I'm going to do these things that, you, that he may know that it's me. So I want them to understand that, like, they're going to see these miraculous things and that they're going to be seeing me do these great things, okay? So, um, so he wants us to look at him and be in awe. And, um, and in so looking at him as to who he is, uh, he wants us to be transformed by, like, by, him, uh, by him or to be like him. Um, and primarily we look at him today through his word, right? Um, I remember in, uh, I don't know why, maybe this is just something that I do because I'm weird, but um, in college, I, I had different professors 
And actually, I might have even done this in high school. I think I did in high school too. But in college, like I had different professors and they would have different little characteristics. And so um, they would say, however they would like teach and say certain things, I would always like pick up those things and I'd like imitate them. So I don't know why, but like I, I do this thing and Troy knows now, but there was this one Indian professor and he would be doing this thing in differential equations class and he would like write stuff on the board and he would say like, got it? You know, he was like trying to say, got it? You know, but it would be like, got it? You know, and then it'd be like, got it? Got it? So that's where I get that from. <laughs> so I do that to Troy all the time. <laughs> like, got it? Um, but anyway, so what I'm trying to say is, um, I'm going to read this passage. Actually, if you want to, you can turn there because it's kind of long. But Isaiah 40, we're going to look at uh, verse 40, uh, verse 9 through 31. Because God is saying, behold your God. He's saying, like, look at me. Learn from me. See who I am. Um, uh, so I'm going to read this Isaiah 40, verse 9 through 31. Okay. <clears throat> so we can see who God is here. Okay. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord. God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are his with young. So we learn about God. Who has, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol... A craftsman casts it with a, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver change. He who is too impoverished for an offspring chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble, to whom then will you compare me, that I should like him, be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." He wants us to look at him and be in awe. 
And what he's saying is, um, I'll just share this verse from A.W. Tozer. It says, if we insist on trying to imagine him, we end up with an idol, not made with hands, but with thoughts. And an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. What he's trying to say there is, um, the problem is when we try to like wrap our minds around God and like try to contain him, put, put a boundary around him and say like, yeah, this is what I think. You know, this is, I'm gonna put him in this container and, and, and that's gonna be my understanding of God. But God is saying, I am, I am bursting through all of those things. So don't put me in a container, okay? You're not gonna ever understand all of who I am. Um, uh, and the, he's basically saying there's no sense in worshiping a God that we can't completely wrap our minds around. Um, or, or people today, might, actually what I'm saying is people today might go, why would I worship a God that I can't completely wrap my mind around? God is saying like, uh, once you try to wrap your mind completely around God, all you have done is made an idol. You've just reduced God to something your finite mind can get around. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you, I don't know, probably many of you have had friends that like um, they're in a crisis or something and you, and you might at some point in time just take them to the word and say, you know what, well, here's something that God says, you know, here's something that, the, 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 that God says that, you know, you should do. And they're like, well, I don't like that. You know, and you're like, well, I mean, but, uh, but, this, but this is what God says. You know, this, this is what God says. That it's right here, you know. And they're like, well, well I don't want to do that. I mean, and so it's like, uh, okay, um, then, then there's not much you can do about it. I mean, they just won't submit to um, what God is saying, who, who God really is. Um, what God is saying here in Isaiah is when you come to me, you cannot impose on me what you like and what you don't like and not to impose on God what we can imagine or what we can't imagine or what we think is right and wrong. God is saying, I stand outside of all this and I want you to order your lives accordingly. Okay, so let, let, um, uh, let me just try to say what, what's going on here in Genesis 1. Um, I'll try to wrap this up. Um, okay, so we kind of have this um, running joke in, in our house. Um, I don't, maybe it's not a joke. Maybe it's more of a, um, um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think. Of. Anyway, I'll just say I like backpacks, okay? I like to collect backpacks. I was going to say it's a joke, but Lisa might say, no, that's more of an annoyance, okay? So it's not a joke to me. Um, but I like, I like backpacks because I like, I like putting things in different backpacks. And, uh, and she might be like, well, you have enough backpacks already. But like, if someone like Caleb and Hannah were getting rid of some stuff and they had, she was like, hey, does anyone want these backpacks? And I'm like, I want them. She's like, don't you have enough backpacks already? You know, but like... Uh, um, Actually, it kind of came in handy. Like the, when I was doing taxes a few weeks ago, I had to, TurboTax wanted me to tell them something from my taxes from last year. And I was like, oh man, where are those? But I remembered they were in one of my backpacks. <laughs> and and, and I, I found that backpack. I mean, it's like if someone would have like moved that backpack or shuffled things around, I'd have never found it. So, so what's going on here in Genesis 1 is that God is doing a lot of separating and organizing, okay? Um, he's, he's taking chaos and he's creating organization. And, um, and that's some, we can learn something from that, okay? We can learn that this is a character of God that we need to observe and learn from, okay? You'll see the word separating like about four or five times in Genesis 1 here. He's, he's just separating and he's organizing. Um, so... Um, you know, when we, when we see something, when we see an observation like this about God and, and who he is, do we, do we just say, well, that's great for you, God, but I'm just, I'm, 
I'm a cluttered person and just that's just the way it is and I'm just going to be a clutterer. Um, no, God, God is saying like, I can help you grow, okay? I want you to grow. I don't want you to be a cluttered person all your life. I mean, I'm a God of organization and I, I can help you grow to be more orderly, you know, like I am. I want you to be more like me. You don't just, you know, say that you're going to be a cluttered person all your life. Um, so in days one through four of creation, um, I want us to see a couple, a couple things here. Um, one is that God, God's creation is determinative. And what I mean by that is that God is the one who determines things about his creation. And I just want to talk about what, some of those things that God determines. Um, uh, first of all, God determines what is real, okay? That's very important, right? Um, I talked about how God stands outside of things and he started creating things. And I just want us to notice that seven times here in chapter one and four times in days one through four, we see the phrase, and it was so. God declares it to be so, and it just is. He says, this is the way it's going to be, and it was so. God, God is the one who gets to determine reality. And, and, that, and so... I don't need to, to, um, I don't need to uh, fight that, you know? I, I don't, uh, God uh, said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, there, there's, let there be an expanse, and there was an expanse. Um, it's not like, like when I have a home project, okay, and, and, um, and the materials like fight back against me, you know? I'm like, I want to make this thing, or I need to fix this thing, and then like, all of a sudden, like, the screw, like, shears off, you know? And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? Now it's going to take me all day. You know, I mean, so God, nothing fought back against him. You know, he just said it and it happened. Um, so, um, so God determines the reality, and God names his reality, okay? That's very important. Um, in this culture and time, whatever someone, whoever named things, they were the ones who owned it. Um, similar to like how we get to name our children, right? I mean, we don't, we don't wait for our children to come out and say, what, what, do, you, what do you want your name to be? Wah? Okay, your name will be Wah, you know? Um, we, we get to name our children, okay? Um, so God determines reality. I also want us to note that God determines boundaries, okay? Um, how many of you have enjoyed a cup of coffee this morning? Okay. No. Well, so um, there's, so whoever created those coffee pots back there, maybe, they might, you know, there's a thing called heat transfer. So someone had to figure out, like, how to uh, make it to where, like, the pot could heat up at just the right time and, and how long it would take. And... Um, so whoever designed that, whatever engineer designed that, they might have used something called boundary conditions, you know, when they were figuring out the formula to, to create the heat transfer and all of that thing. Um, so I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, that's something that's in, like, differential equations and there's boundary conditions. And so um, what I'm trying to say is we see that God created boundaries, okay? He created time. He created space. He created the boundaries of everything. So he created reality. He created boundaries. Um, he, cre he put the waters there and he said, let, let me gather them together and here's where the waters will be. Here's where the land will be. Um, so he's doing a lot of um, separating and a lot of gathering. And uh, what we can conclude is that God is at work over all this chaos. And then he starts organizing by moving things around. Um, so why is this important? Okay, um, because God is going to start giving these people laws, right? He's going to start giving these people laws. Um, and um, uh, God is demonstrating this aspect of his character of how he orders and separates and gathers and organizes. It's consistent with the same God who's going to give them laws to live by, okay? How many of you guys are wearing polyester this morning? Well, you, you might not know. How many of you are wearing something that has mixed fabric in it, right? So, so you're, you're a lawbreaker, right? You know? um, 
so God in his law said, I don't want you to wear mixed fabric. You know, I want you to wear like 100% wool or 100% this or that. Um, and um, how many, when you mowed your lawn yesterday, you hitched up two different animals to pull that lawnmower? Like you hitched up a horse and a goat. Yeah, okay, Riley did. You're only supposed to use like two horses or two goats or two camels. God didn't want you to hitching up two different animals, okay? He didn't want there to be mixing, okay? <clears throat> and because what God is trying to say, you can see from his character, he separates and organizes. He, he, um, he, wants, <clears throat> he wanted his people to be distinct, okay? Um, he wanted his people to be separate from the world that they were going into. I'm going to read this um, example from Exodus 31. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And you've all heard before the word sanctify is like set apart. I set you apart. And this is not just who God was in the Old Testament. His character is the same with us believers. And Peter brings us out in 1 Peter one, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. And again, that word holy has the idea of being set apart. So, um, uh, so I'm just talking about how God has boundaries and he, um, he determines reality. He sets boundaries and he also determines the kinds of the plants and trees and how they reproduce. This was all bound up in his heart, okay? And um, uh, why do you think that was important for God to inform his people that he set in motion the laws of reproduction? Well, I, I shouldn't have asked you the question because I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to answer it. Okay, Because in the land that they were going to, you all have heard of the God of Baal, right? Well, they, the Canaanites were very strongly believed that Baal um, had all to do with uh, fertility and, um, um, and to do with uh, reproduction. And, um, and so um, God was basically telling them that like, hey, I'm the one that set that in motion. You do not, you're gonna, not, you're gonna run into this where they're gonna say, hey, you're gonna need to sacrifice something to get those crops to grow this year. But God's like, no, no, I set that in motion to where the, Crops would reproduce after their kind. It's not some god of Baal that you're going to have to sacrifice to to get reproduction to happen. Okay, number four, we see that God is the one who establishes time. It says there was evening, there was morning, day one. There was evening, there was morning, day two. And he makes this reference seven days, seven times in a row, seven days in a row. And God is the one who gets to determine that time. <clears throat> so, um, some people might say like, well, I see that he didn't make the sun, the moon, the stars till day four. So um, uh, does that mean, you know, there weren't solar days until day four? You know, how long were the days in day one through three? Well, um, my conclusion to that is that, what does it say? There was evening, there was morning, day one. Okay, that's what we know. That's what, that's what we know from the text. But being that um, God used Moses to write this book when he did. I think it would be a stretch to think that these days were anything other than 24-hour days um, because it seems to me that God is giving us a reference point of time and evening and morning, day one was day one through three, evening, morning, day four, five, and six, they were all, they were all the same. He didn't, he didn't like make a difference between them. So... Um, I think that it's also important for us to realize this whole thing that God gives us time and God gives us time as a reference because um, God uses time in our lives, right? To teach us certain things. He wants us to know that we have a limited amount of time on the earth to fulfill his purpose, right? Um, I mean, he could, have, he could have done anything. He could have made time 48 hours, 36 hours. He could have there could be no time, whatever. Um, when we are suffering, you know, there's verses about that won't last forever, but joy comes in the morning. Um, there's just so many things that are, there's an importance to how God 
give us a reference point with time, okay? So God determines reality. He determines boundaries, the kinds of plants and trees, time, and he establishes patterns, okay? So how does he establish patterns? Well, you see here in, in these first 19 verses that he forms things and then he likes to fill things, okay? So on the first three days, he forms the matter, and then the next three days, he fills it. He creates the heavens, and then he fills it with the sun, moon, and the stars. He creates um, the skies, and then he fills it with the birds. He creates the seas, and he fills it with the sea creatures. He creates man, and then he fills him with his breath and his image. Um, so then the second and last thing is that God's creation is dynamic. So we said it's, it's determined. He determines his creation, and then his creation is dynamic. And, um, and the one Hebrew word I want us to learn this morning, and I'll let, I've been telling Troy this for like the last couple of weeks, it's, because it's a fun word, it's tohu wabohu. Okay, almost sounds African, right? So it's tohu wabohu. And that's the word for formless and void. And it really is almost literally like utter chaos, okay? So um, uh, God created all of this out of utter chaos. What, what can we learn from that? I think what we can learn from that is that if God can create this beautiful, everything that he created, this creation out of utter chaos, then he certainly can handle the chaos in our lives, you know, the chaos that we're dealing with. Um, so, so just understand that. When you, are, when you feel like your life, what's going on in your head, everything around you and your family is just full of tohu wabohu, okay? Just remember that God, he spoke right through that tohu wabohu, and he gave order to it all, okay? Um, this idea of the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, again, just how we know that God was intimately involved. Is that word there? It's only used like twice in the Bible. It's the word hovering. Um, it says he was hovering over the waters. Um, it's used in Deuteron Deuteronomy about an eagle hovering over its nest. Um, and it's like, and I was watching a video of an eagle hovering over its nest, and it, it, it literally will attack something. It's very personal. It will attack something that's trying to, like, steal uh, its eggs. Um, also, uh, there's, I mean, again, I had to get this from a commentary because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but um, there's a lot of action verbs in these first passages, um, there's like 10 action verbs here. Like how we would say, if we want to really emphasize something, we'll say, no, I had a good time. Really? You know, um, God does that 10 times in this passage where he's trying to show that like, I am, I am moving things. I am, I am working. I'm creating things. This isn't like some like, dead fish of a universe and some static. I mean, he's dynamic. He is, he is just like moving and shaking and, and, and making things. Um, and I just think it's amazing that, I mean, I think, I don't even know how they do this. This is crazy, but I just read in somewhere, cosmologists think that there are about one billion stars in just the Milky Way galaxy. I mean, when you get a number that high, how, how, what's the fudge factor, you know? I mean, but Psalm 147.4 says, he determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names, okay? So takeaways from this morning, God's creation should inspire our worship of him. That, that's just a no-brainer, okay? God's, number two, God's creation should give us a settled peace, okay? Okay. Um, Really, when we're anxious, we should think about his creation and how God determines, God determined all these things, and we should have a settled peace. 
Um, God's creation should encourage us to live with structure, and God's creation should encourage us in our chaos. Um, so I'm going to stop right now, and, and if we have any time left, we might not, but um, maybe we can um, go over some of these things. Uh, actually, maybe we can go over some of these things in our life group times if we don't have time to have a, an A&I time. So let me close in prayer. Lord, I just pray that you would add your blessing to your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would help us to um, just, just go into this week and these weeks ahead and just walk in these takeaways that we have from your creation, God, that we can, when we find ourselves in a chaotic mess, when we find ourselves anxious, when we, um, that we can go back and just say, you know what? You are the creator of all and you created me and you have it under control and I don't need to worry. I don't need to fear. Um, just, just pray that our faith would grow as a result of knowing more about who you are in the creation. So God, thank you for that. I, God, I thank you that now as we're going to just celebrate um, what these wonderful children have learned and, and done this year through the Awana time, God, that we would just rejoice with them and um, just be excited. And we pray that we, well, actually, well, we pray and we can pray in confidence, God, because um, your word has the promise that your word will not come back void. So the word that you, that they have put in their hearts, God, this year through the Awana program, God, I pray that it would just, you would bless it and you would use it in their lives in great ways. In Jesus' name, amen.